Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today we've got Carrie Silken, the current Ring of Honor ambassador and former head of Ring of Honor, the owner of Ring of Honor, before he sold the company to Sinclair Broadcasting in 2011. The company made news recently when they announced they'd be running one last show on December 10th, which was Final Battle. And then they were closing their doors indefinitely uh, as Sinclair figured out how to find a path forward for Ring of Honor. The whole roster was let out of their contracts. And as you know, former Ring of Honor champion Jay Lethal has since debuted at AEW. But today we'll hear the story of Ring of Honor from the guy who was there from almost day one, first as a fan, then as a silent investor, then as head of Ring of Honor, and finally as brand ambassador when Sinclair came on board. Carrie's talking about the early days of Ring of Honor, some of the talent that put them on the map, what led them selling to Sinclair, how Ring of Honor navigated the pandemic, and the circumstances that led to Ring of Honor shutting down this month. Carrie also shares his thoughts on what the future may hold for the company and whether or not he might be involved. We'll talk to Carrie Silken coming up. But before we do, reminder, if you've got some Christmas cash to burn, I've got some great ideas how you can spend it. Book yourself a cabin on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover, uh, leaving March 14th to 18th from Miami to uh, Nassau. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com for all uh, cruise info. It is going to be the vacation of a lifetime. Or you can buy yourself or your loved ones a ticket to see Fozzie. The Save the World Tour is headed out again March 31st. This time we're headed west and east, uh, but we'll be in California starting May 5th in Los Angeles at the infamous Whiskey A Go-Go. Tickets available at FozzyRock.com. And don't forget about our legendary VIP meet and greet. It's the best of the biz. Get your tickets at FozzyRock.com. And don't forget to book your vacation of a lifetime on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Chris Jericho Cruise. Dot com. The guest list is stacked. I'll tell you all about it again on Friday. But book your cabin now. Once again, we set sail on March 14th, less than three months away. And it is the only cruise we're doing in 2022. All right, let's get to Carrie Silken and the story of Ring of Honor right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, end of an era happened just a few uh, few days ago, a few weeks ago, depending on when we were listening to this. Um, Ring of Honor, Final Battle, and uh, I got Carrie Silken is with us, who was the owner of Ring of Honor for many years and has been uh, synonymous with this company that really changed pro wrestling in a lot of ways. First of all, Carrie, how was Final Battle for you? And were you still tied in with Ring of Honor in any other way other than just uh, emotionally and legacy-wise? First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm the I'm the current, I don't know anymore, but I was the current Ring of Honor ambassador. Okay. <laughs> so for the last uh, 11 years since I, sold the, since I sold the company. But yeah, I mean, Chris, 20 years. This February will be legitimately 20 years. I came in as a silent investor, you know, I knew Gabe Sapolsky. Right. And uh, there were a couple other guys involved. And uh, I wanted to get in on the ground floor. Why? Because being a lifelong wrestling fan and then becoming an ECW fan, when for, when for me, 90s wrestling was in the shitter, early 90s right. wrestling. And I was, I was a front row ECW guy. Get, oh, wow. And besides... You know, the bloodbaths, I loved seeing you 
Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. You know, that was like, that was so cool. But when ECW folded, there was this void. And um, the original people that started Ring of Honor, I knew them and I approached them because I figured they'd be starting a company. And they were, but they didn't need my help. Well, about six months later, they came to me. You know what they needed? Money. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was fine with that. I got involved um, behind the scenes. And um, it's weird. And this is never spoken about. And as, as a rock and roller, you, you'll appreciate this. As good as the early Ring of Honor wrestling was, and the low keys and the Samoa Joes and the Spankies and so on and so forth, and bringing in Eddie Guerrero, bringing in Super Crazy, as good as it was, there was zero production. Hmm. And I went to Gabe. Now, Gabe's favorite band is Rush, and he's a rock and roll guy. And so I said, Gabe, we need some lighting. I mean, he goes, no, Carrie, I don't want you wasting the money on that. I go, Gabe, you go to shows, you go to Rush, you go to this. He, he liked Yes, he liked Heavy Metal. I said, what happens when any show starts? What happens when a movie starts? He goes, uh, well, the lights go out. I go, what happens when the lights go out? He goes, yeah, the people pop. So we brought in, I don't want to say rudimentary, but sort of rudimentary lighting. And as uh, soon as we did that, uh, what a difference it made to the whole environment. And um, some incidents happened in 2004 of a, uh, of, of a scandalous nature. And people right. don't know what we're talking about. Could Google it. Right. But it's funny, Chris, if that didn't happen, I probably would have backed out because the company was just bleeding money. But mm-hmm. after that happened and I had full control, I felt better. And then I just continued to bleed money, but at least... <laughs> At least you felt better about it. Right. <laughs> well, well, in what way was it bleeding money? Because as, as we know, it's hard to start a wrestling company. It's hard to run a wrestling company. But what were you uh, coming up against budget-wise that was causing you to, to bleed that money? The only real income we had besides the poultry, poultry gates and was merchandise. And at the time, it was still the um, VHS era. Right. And in 2003 and four, the DVD era was coming in. So everything had to be converted. And when we, would, when, we, when we started to get a little buzz and the shows were being, you know, getting a buzz, people wanted to see them. And uh, they, you know, that was, our, that was what would take in the money. Even though it was four, six, eight weeks late after the show, they uh, wanted to buy the DVD to see what they had read about. Mm. And that was, but it did not cover anywhere close to the bills. Thank God I was single. Thank God I wound up being somewhat successful in the ticket brokering uh, business because my, my ticket agency you know, funded our ring of honor. And uh, it was, it was out of the passion for the wrestling, my ego. And I knew I had a good thing. I knew we had, I knew we had a good product, but it was just impossible to make money. 
So who were who were the, the top stars kind of in those early years when you first started getting involved? Well, the original batch was low key. Ryan Danielson was on the first Ring of Honor show. Oh, wow. One of the Briscoes, because the other Briscoe was only 17. <laughs> and he couldn't wrestle in Pennsylvania. Uh, Spanky, Brian Kendricks, Paul London. These were this, this was the original batch, which, and then by the time I was more involved and eventually the full owner, this is when Punk came in. Mm. This is when Colt Cabana came in. This is when Nigel McGuinness came in and Samoa Joe and the list goes on and on. So it, it really is kind of interesting because you mentioned ECW, which had basically closed in about 98 or so. Obviously there's no AEW at the time uh, and there's really no WCW at the time. I'd gone out of business too. So there's really only WWE's the only place in town. So ring of honor really could bring something different to the table the same way that that AEW did, you know, almost twenty years later, to differentiate this company from the WWE company. Wrestling is awesome; the guys are awesome. So, how are you able to sustain the company when you just said earlier it's impossible to make money? And what was kind of the first breakthrough where you did start making a little money? Well, believe it or not, it never, ever, ever made money. There was a few shows, wow. WrestleMania weekends where we had good gates in Chicago, but in the, you know, if you looked at it on an annual level, it always lost money, but I was trying. And the first thing we did uh, beyond the DVDs, and it, it was, we were doing it ass backwards because we had no TV. Um, we met a guy named Ken Gelman, and he was involved in, at the time, these recorded pay-per-views that were like on in-demand, Right. Remember those? Yeah. And he had Dish Network. So we we did, um, we would record the, the, the so-called pay-per-view, which wouldn't air till six weeks later. But dig this. The first couple of them, we did like, I know these are small numbers, but for us it was huge. We did like close to 15,000 buys. Mm. It was over the course of days and weeks. But it was impressive, and um, but we needed TV, and we just we never were able to get it until Andrew Simon from HDNet now Access. Yeah, I know Andrew. Okay, he approached us, and I was you know I was like wow finally this is around two thousand and eight. So Andrew approaches us and. He's funding for the TV to, to do the TV uh, tapings, which was a big help, of course. But this was the problem, and no disrespect to Andrew. Little did I know that HDNet only had like three or four percent of cable penetration. They were available on uh, the Dish Network, you know, channel eight hundred and twenty-two. Right. right? So. I thought the first time it, it aired, man, the, the, the DVD sales and the merch sales, the online sales are just going to take off. And I was wrong. Uh, but I, you know, still, I, I, I tip my hat to those guys. I appreciate what they did for us. The deal lasted like two years. Jim Carnett came in, helped produce the TV, 
and I he'd been in a number of Ring of Honor dates prior. And by having Jim there, Jim knew Gary Juster. Mm-hmm. And Gary Juster, who I guess we should tell the fans, is a longtime NWA, WCW, uh, he booked the buildings. Yeah, booking agent, right, yeah. You know Gary? Yeah, of course, from WCW right. and from, yeah, from around, absolutely. So Gary knew Joe Coff, who worked for Sinclair. Joe Coff was a longtime wrestling fan. And back, back in the 80s, did you ever hear of, or did you ever see the Battle of the Belts? It was like in 84, 85. It was, no. it was done in Florida, sort of like a pre-recorded pay-per-view, or maybe it was on some of the affiliates. Anyway, Joe Coff liked wrestling. And he went to the Sinclair Brass. It took almost 15 months to get the deal done, right? And it wasn't like they were paying me a lot of money, but um, it was cor- you know it's, it was the corporate world, which I know you have familiarity with. They stick flight flashlights every which way, and you know where they stick them in your mouth, and you know what, <laughs> and it seemed like it was never going to happen because I wanted to get out. You know, I wanted to get out, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it and not to be redundant. Thank God for the ticket business in that era, in, in the early 2000s into the mid 2000s was very good. This was before tickets where every ticket was uh, for a major show was, you know, a minimum price of $300. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. But um, it funded ROH, but uh, I wanted to get out. And it worked out perfectly because I was able to get out, but yet they still wanted me around because I was the so-called face of ROH. Right, the figurehead, yeah. Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a connection or call in a favor. State Farm offers options like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Now that's a deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. So when, when going back to kind of pre-Sinclair, because I want, I want to talk about both eras, when you mentioned that you know DVD sales were one of the cornerstones of your financial, you know, situation was slowly getting smaller as the advent of YouTube started, or was YouTube even a thing back in 2008, nine, uh, were people still buying the DVDs rather than just being able to see them online? I guess is what my question is. They were buying the DVDs, but I got smartened up. Although I ignored the advice in 2005 and i'll tell you or six i'll tell you a quick story ken gelman the guy that put together the uh tape pay-per-views brought us to these big wigs in new york city these guys had connections with disney this that anyway we go there and the and and the guy he brings us to says you guys are doing this backwards you need tv before you do pay-per-views even if they are pre-recorded we're like well we don't have tv Anyway, within the course of that conversation, Chris, one of the guys there who was probably in his 30s is explaining to me 
you know, um, Terry, in a few years, people are going to be looking on their phones, watching movies, watching concerts. <laughs> now, this is two plus again, this is 2005, six. Well, when I left that meeting, I'm like, this guy's nuts. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I know. So, but yeah, to your point, um, as the time went on, the DVD sales were shrinking and, uh, you know, it, it, it was, is it, was it, isn't it nice? I'm sure you have DVDs in your house. Sure. Of course. Oh, right. As a showpiece. But, uh, uh, you know, eventually uh, they were extinct. So who was booking at this time frame over the eight, nine years that you owned the company? Do you know Gabe Sapolsky? Yes. Gabe Sapolsky was the original Ring of Honor booker. Right. And you know that the life expectancy of bookers isn't very, very uh, strong. Yeah. But he lasted until 2008. You know, Gabe's a, Gabe did a phenomenal job, but it's like he's the son of Paul Heyman. <laughs> yeah. So he inherited uh, some of the negative angry traits of Paul Heyman. <laughs> right. You know, like just, you know, like, like show, showpiece kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just to get angry, to get angry. Right. And um, I wasn't crazy about that behavior. His booking was fantastic. We had so many guys going through, but I had to make a change. And that led to Adam Pierce. Oh, okay. Who's now a big shot with a big, a big maher, as my Jewish grandmother <laughs> would say on WWE. But uh, yeah, Gabe did a great job. You know, we got, we got lucky along the way, Chris, because Noah approached us pro wrestling. Noah. Uh -huh. Approached in us Japan. in 2005. And it was like, why do they want to talk to us? Well, they wanted a presence in the United States. We garnered a relationship with them. This is with Marafuchi and Kenta and Morishima. And um, it was expensive, but it worked. And it really elevated our stock. We got to go to the UK in 2005 and six, and then eventually with the help of Noah, and uh, we were working a little bit with Dragon Gate, but that's another story. We got to go to Tokyo twice, mm. 2007, 2008. This so is as a, as a Ring of Honor tour, a Ring of Honor with Noah? Right. Yes, gotcha. right. And it was a combination show. It, it, it was sort of the golden era. This is like when... Tyler Black, you know, Seth Rollins yeah. was, was elevating. Nigel and Brian were the cornerstones of the company. The Briscoes were so well established and just kicking ass. And um, Austin Aries, I mean, Samoa Joe was gone, but overall, uh, you know, our crew has always been good. And it was like they put the they put the Thanksgiving fork in us so many times. For example, <laughs> we had the CM Punk Samoa Joe trilogy. Maybe you're aware of it, maybe you're not. I've but that it, yeah. was sort of after that rough patch we went through. And it really got a lot of attention. And 
Well, there goes Samoa Joe leaving for TNA. Oh, well. And uh, shortly after that, who the hell left after that? Oh, oh, Punk. We had Punk. Punk was fabulous. Well, Punk gets a developmental deal in WWE in 2006. Bye-bye, Punk. But what I learned and what I saw happen right in front of my eyes, and you've seen it a thousand times, it elevated other guys. It opened right. up space for other guys. So this way, the Jamie Nobles and the Austin Aries and the Seth Rollins and the Kevin Steen slash Jones and the El Generico Sammy Zanes and the Davey Richards and the Eddie Edwards. And we can go on and on. It opened up spots. Plus, we, were, we had, you know, uh, Kenta, Marafuchi, not on every show, but on a lot of them. So right. every time this would happen, people are like, they're done. But the biggest one of all was in 2009, because simultaneously in September, I mean, I had notice, both Brian and Nigel, Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness were leaving. And I'm like, what the hell are we going to do? And I called Carnet, who just got fired from Impact or quit, one of the two, TNA. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had Jim come to New York as a surprise. I also had Homicide, who New York was, who I didn't mention yet. I, 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 I'm delinquent in mentioning Homicide. I had him come back for that show as a surprise. And it was sort of like a magic trick. As, as bad as it yeah. was to lose, right? As bad as it was to lose Brian and Nigel, when they saw Carnet and the way he was presented, <laughs> when they saw Homicide and the way he was presented, it was like it put a Band-Aid on it. And we went from there. Well, that, that's the thing. And obviously Jimmy would know that and Paul Heyman would know that. Is it kind of frustrating or is it just – just the way it is when you build the guys up, do you kind of know at a certain point they're going to leave and go to WWE? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this is never spoken about, and I don't ever think I've mentioned it, even on my podcast. I think we were the only company that it might have been a, a 12 or 16 or 18-month period of time that provided insurance. Wow. To, it wasn't all of them, but, yeah. you know, the big names – uh, we, we had, we had an insurance policy in the office, but, um, yes, you just, you got used to this. It was incredible attrition. I mean, the attrition rate was just ridiculous. Right. You know, and WWE, even more than TNA was watching us and watching these guys and, um, cherry picking, yeah. you know, along the way, you know, we, there's Tyler Black. Seth Rollins really, you know, kicking ass. Well, they're calling him, and uh, you know, it, it went on, it went on and on and on. Well, then here comes Adam Cole, and here comes Kyle O'Reilly, and here comes uh, this one and that one, and uh, the Jay Lethal. How could I forget him? Mm. Jay Lethal got released. He came back. Um, Cabana got released. He came back. Mm -hmm. So there, there was this revolving cast 
it's like of an all-star band. Right. <laughs> Anybody can come up and jam whenever they're in town. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. There are a lot of things that nobody likes to do. I like calling somebody back when they text you, we need to talk or cardio every day, or running the ropes when you're first getting started in wrestling. And I'm sure everyone can add scooping cat litter to that list as well. I know we all love our cute little feline family members, but the smell, the scooping, the scraping of stuck-on mess, nobody loves that. Problem solved, however, thanks to Arm & Hammer Slide Litter, the litter that slides right out, leaving nothing behind. You still may not love cleaning the litter box, but now you can just slide out the funk. Arm & Hammer Slide Litter. More power to you. Two questions. How many shows were you running a week? And were you having guys under contract or were you just paying them for show at this point? Yes, we had. I had to put guys under contract and I was very liberal. The, uh, to, your first, to your first question, we ran like 50 dates a year. 50. Okay. Wow. 50 dates. Yeah. So I got we you. would do a weekend, you know, Chicago, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, three weeks later, New York, Philly. Three weeks later, um, I don't know, uh, Boston and Toronto. And um, I had to have guys under contract. So the Nigels, the Bryans, the uh, the top name guys, the, the Seth Rollins were under contracts. And the rules of the contracts when you could do anything you want except be go to WWE, go to TNA. And you can't do any kind of these, the, the few independent pay-per-views that existed at the time. Gotcha. But along the way, a guy like, oh, I don't know, let's just say uh, Nigel in 2006. Hey, mate, I got an offer to go to a, a tryout, WWE. They just want to look at me. And I, I was like, go, go ahead. You know, and... Uh, I, I wasn't like, you know, if these guys got an opportunity, it's not like they just jump and run. But if they got an opportunity, I would allow them to explore. It. Yet at the same time, I didn't want to lose them. But right, maybe right. I'm a bad but Maybe I'm too nice a businessman. No, I, I remember because because what Ring of Honor was, like you said, the, the, the newer version, the modern day version of ECW. And when I was in ECW, once again, short time, I think 22 matches I had there. And when I got the opportunity to go work for WCW, I told Paul Heyman, oh, I don't want to go. And then he goes, well, don't. It's very simple. If you don't want to go, don't go. And I'm like, well, of course I want to go, but I don't want to go. It almost I knew it was going to be a stop for me in order to go to the next stop. And I'm sure you probably found that from a lot of guys coming through Ring of Honor as well. Well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but ECW didn't give you a, a full-time contract. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think they even had anybody under contract back then. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I did the best I could. We had, a, we had a really good locker room. You know, it's funny. The young bucks who are like my – I call them my West Coast sons. Oh, yeah. Um, or sometimes I put on your show. I put on AEW or I would put on Raw – a few years ago, or NXT, and I there's Kevin Steen, there's El, there's Generico, there's this one, there's that one, and it's like it's like I'd put out, I'd take a picture, or if I go visit them in a show, and I, I the, my caption was over was always all my children, right? <laughs> two of my best children, and my favorite guys were the Bucks, mm-hmm. and Adam Pierce brought the Bucks in 
I remember Jim telling me, I go, where do they live? He goes, California. He goes, I, I, he goes, they're only 75 bucks a night. I go, but it's California. He goes, I got them on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> it's, only, it's only eight stops. <laughs> so, the Bucks came in. I got to know them really well. Um, I'm so happy for their success. I'm, I'm happy for everyone's success. You know, it's just been such a crazy, crazy ride. But, you know, th during my time at ROH, when it was clicking, it was clicking so well. And, like, do you mind if I throw out a couple names, please? Please. To this day, we still, and it was up to let, this is, this goes to the very last show. We had the, we have, no disrespect to Justin Roberts, the best ring announcer in wrestling, my opinion, Bobby Cruz, mm. the best. And we had the best referee in wrestling, Todd Sinclair. They, were, they weren't with us since day one. Um, Bobby came in. I don't know if you even know about this. Steve Carino used to do these, these uh, entrances with the ring announcer where the, the ring announcer, and, uh, it's right up your alley, a list. <laughs> yeah. you know? so, I, think, I think I think that's where Jimmy Jacobs got that idea right. was from Steve Carino. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And and so yeah, but but Bobby and Todd, I felt so bad for uh them this weekend. I mean, there was such a mixed bag of emotions, but yeah, you know, um you know the feeling. It was that you know, Ring of Honors always had yes, there was always a bad apple here and there. But it had that down home family feeling. Right. Come on, let's go out and get it. You know, let's win one for the Gipper kind of thing. You mentioned TNA a couple times. Were they more? Because uh, I think you guys had a had a talent relation agreement. <laughs> not not a fan, huh? I was going to say no, it was no, no. well. They didn't deal with us. They, I'll talk about it. Yeah, they didn't deal with us very nicely. Because you were you supposed know? to have a talent exchange. Is that what you're talking about? They, or just in general, they, 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 it was totally one sided. Gotcha. Uh, and I've met and spoken a lot to Jeff Jarrett later on. Who knows when he was actually there and he wasn't. But, you know, and, and I'm not mad at Scotty Damore or this one or that one, but we didn't get treated very nice by them. Leave it at that. Gotcha. So before we move into the Sinclair, I want to ask you, you mentioned Eddie Guerrero, and I forgot that Eddie came to, to Ring of Honor, and that was part of kind of his reestablishing himself in the business after he got fired from, from WWE to show that he could be trusted. So tell us about how he came in and what it was like to have Eddie around. He was Eddie was on the very first show. I was there, wow. as, a, I was there as a fan, Chris, hmm. and I hope I don't mess this up. I think it was Eddie Guerrero against Super Crazy. And that was the two big fly-ins. Everybody else, once again, it wasn't my company yet. Everybody else were these New York guys. And then, um, what's the guy's name? Rudy Gonzalez from Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. from, out of the Sean Mike. He, they, they, they shipped up Brian Spanky. They shipped up Paul London. They shipped up this one. I think Dan, I think Christopher Daniels. But anyway, I was at that show. And the Guerrero match was fabulous. And Gabe made a decision to have, I think it was Danielson, Spanky, and Loki, or Danielson, Loki, and Paul London. 
go on after that in a three-way match, which was ballsy. But that's why Gabe was good. But yeah, to have Eddie Guerrero was fabulous. And another thing I really enjoyed during my tenure, I'm a guy that likes history, whether it's wrestling, baseball, rock and roll, uh, the Civil War. I like history. So I used to like to bring in legends. We had Harley Race. We had Bill Watts. We had Bruno San Martino, Jim Carnett, Bobby Heenan, Ricky Steamboat. And Foley, Mick Foley worked like seven shows with us. Mm. I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell a story. He might get mad. Mick comes in, and this is after that little aforementioned scandal. Right? We do a shoot interview with him. And I had read in his book that he just mentioned in his first book how he was such a huge Jethro Tull fan. So which I am too. And so after the shoot interview, and you, you know him, he's a huge Christmas fan. You're right. Well, guess what? The, the shoot interview was in like September. Well, it's 2004. Tall releases a Jethro Tall Christmas album. <laughs> and he didn't know about it. And I had the CD. And I gave it to him. And that started our little connection. And then he agreed to come to make a live appearance. And he was expensive, right? I don't need to say the number, but he was very expensive. But it's Mick Foley. But he wasn't going to wrestle. You know, he'll do some kind of little angle. But, you know, anyway, he and it, and it was in the New York area. He enjoyed it so much that the next loop for us, this is a loop, Chicago, Detroit, or, or Dayton and somewhere, I wanted to use them. And uh, Ricky Steamboat was coming also, but I couldn't really afford them. And I called him up and he said, look, I love what I saw there. I'll Don't tell anybody, Carrie, but I'll do it for X. But you can't tell anybody. <laughs> and we had him for like, we had him and Ricky Steamboat for like six, and seven, for six or seven shows. And I remember... Uh, it was in Dayton, and Gabe's and they're and they're sitting in the locker room. They're just both they're, they're just talking, and uh, Gabe Sapolsky comes over to me, and he's like hitting me like Carrie, Carrie, look, look, it's friggin' McBoys. <laughs> of, of course, but yeah, I loved bringing in the legends, whether it was, uh, and he turned out to be a dear friend, uh, Bushwhacker Luke, right? Yeah, you gotta respect history. You know, and I and 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 I'm glad that AEW does. Right. No, it's important. You can't. I hate when WWE does it. They'll bring in somebody, a legend, and then end up shitting on them or making them look bad. It's like that's not what people don't want to see. That you know. I, or but and they have talk about revisionist history. Yeah. <laughs> you know there is there is so. I'm glad to see you guys. You know, carrying carrying on with that. It's very important. M1's title of Finance Super App is firmly unchallenged. They are a powerhouse of money management with unmatched automation, some of the best borrow rates on the market, tons of flexibility, and powerful tools that let you do more with every dollar. M1 cleans house among the competition. Hundreds of thousands of investors are ditching their brokers for the A-show. 
M1 Finance. They've got already over $5 billion in assets on their platform. $5 billion with no signs of getting gassed. They've got a huge pop from the press as well. M1 won for Best for Sophisticated Investors and Best Robo-Advisor from Investopedia, two years running, and they have over 35,000 five-star reviews on the App Store and Google Play. Plus, get a $30 bonus to your M1 Invest account when you get approved and you fund it with $1,000 within your first 14 days. Terms and conditions apply. Head to m1finance.com slash Jericho to get started for free. That's m1finance.com slash Jericho. m1finance.com slash Jericho. Investing involves risk. Borrowing can increase that loss and borrow rates may vary. So when you finally sell to, to Sinclair, what, what were the major differences that you noticed right away? Well, the reason Sinclair bought it was at the time they had 70, 80 affiliates. So in other words, they had, ooh, Channel 28 in Des Moines. Uh, a Fox affiliate, ooh, Channel 7 in Oklahoma City, a CW affiliate, but they were owned by Sinclair. So it was, they're going to produce an hour of TV to put on these 70 stations, which by the way is now 200, and they're going to be in the local markets. And that's why they wanted the company. And, and it's funny, I love Jim Carnett. I'm probably one of the only guys in history that he never had a blowout with. That was a look. But Jim Jim was a little, when the deal was starting to go down, Jim says, Carrie, do you, do you know what Vince McMahon would pay to have 70 local affiliates? Well, that boat had left the station. <laughs> and so... You know, the idea was, well, now we're on in Des Moines. People are going to watch it. We can go to Des Moines, right? Right. It didn't happen. But um, so Sinclair got their hour of TV, continued doing the live shows, still released DVDs in the beginning. And, uh, dude, there were a lot of growing pla- a lot of growing pains with Sinclair, a lot of them. You know, they, they had a hot potato in their hand, and that's not necessarily good. Maybe it was a hot message. <laughs> but there were a lot of growing pains. But, you know, this is a this is a multi-billion dollar company. And I love Joe Koff, who is the corporate head of Sinclair. And I'm not going to you know, there's no reason, you know, he's been nothing but gracious to me and nice the whole time. But um, unless they got on live TV, as you know, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. And And we never were able to do that. What was Sinclair's kind of MO for for, for buying Ring of Honor? They they just want the original content? Well, no, they wanted that to, to produce an hour of TV for those, at the time, 70 or 80 affiliates as opposed to buying Three's Company gotcha. or Seinfeld. And, and um, <laughs> they, they garnered revenue from the advertising, I think. And, um, but they got that hour of content. And it, it, it never was uniformed. Like if they would have had every station play it right. at 
Saturday morning at 11, like the old days when you would watch wrestling, then roller derby. <laughs> but it never happened. Yeah, you're right, because it was very it was syndicated, like you said. So it would be all over the place on the map. If it would have been, like you said, every Saturday at noon or every Wednesday at nine on this channel, because it was hard because you know, I never heard of Sinclair. And, and you go through your channels. Either. Well, who's you got a thousand freaking channels? Who knows which one is which at this point, you know? So hey. I always wonder if it turned out as big as they wanted it to or they was hoping for. We certainly know the Springsteen song, 57 channels and nothing and on. nothing on, exactly. Now there's 857 channels. <laughs> but at the same time, they were, they were trying. We were doing pay-per-views along the way, doing like four a year. We, oh, we, we, also, we also were trapped originally with the uh, internet pay-per-view thing, which was complete disasters. That's where Jim Carnett lost it. Well, what happened? <laughs> The feed would go out in the middle, you know, and and there's nothing you can do. You were too busy with your career at WWE, but there was a company called Go Fight Live, and they were the, the cutting edge, the cutting edge internet technology, and and it it, it, it was garbage, but uh, it worked sometimes. Eventually, we started doing the traditional on your cable on you know uh, it also the website which still exists ring of honors honor club which is a good deal and it had the old content a lot of the old content and you were able to watch uh you know the pay-per-views through that or like i recorded saturday night on my cable i don't know about you but i don't so i did that chromecast thing i could figure it out <laughs> yeah, sometimes. yeah, yeah. Right. But I'd rather just record it. So yeah, we would do like four a year, and um, then the pandemic came. You know, and I don't want to speak for Joe Koff, but plan was going to be we're going to be doing weekly TV. Where it was going to be, I don't know. Even if it was on YouTube, like AEW Dark, right? Right. But to get one uniform place, and then the pandemic came. That was it. That was it. We, we, we had six or seven months off. We were showing best of content. And uh, we came yeah. back with this empty arena stuff. We did the, the pure title division was part was a tournament we did after the pandemic. The women's we, we created a women's division. And, and to their credit, they paid everybody. Yeah. Everybody got paid. This is, bro, this is unprecedented. Right. So you got to give Sinclair credit. And, uh, but when, when you're looking at the bean counters, though, you know, because, because Sinclair, you know, whoever's running the accounting department probably don't care which show is which. They just see a, a name of a show and numbers mm -hmm. and seeing how much money they spent on Ring of Honor during this. And not getting anything really back, that probably put 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 Ring of Honor on the chopping block. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, maybe we'll be back in some. Maybe we'll be back in some form. You know, we're supposed to have a sh we're supposed to have a show, WrestleMania weekend. Maybe it's not announced, and I'm it's breaking news for your thing. But so we'll see. You know, let let's hope that that happens. 
Talk is Jericho is supported in part by NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks around this Christmas season. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but ah, why bother? You live nearby. You can make it home okay, right? It's no big deal. What are the odds you're going to get pulled over anyway? And besides, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. Uh, you lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Listen, everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. There's no excuse anymore. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop people from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. I know for a fact that you aren't. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Remember, drive sober or get pulled over. Let me ask you, so was it Sinclair that made the decision to, I don't want to say pull the plug, but to kind of end the operations as the way they are? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Probably because of all the money they spent during the pandemic. Well, let's go back to, to, to what, when do you think Ring of Honor was at its peak from a, I guess, from a business-wise, from perception-wise? Probably in 2000 six through nine um i'm you know as i said before we got to go to the uk that was a huge deal for us um and japan we were the darlings at the time we were the cool kids at the time wow yeah and then we get approached by darren arnofsky who's doing the wrestler movie and and darren arnofsky um his thought process was the the closing scene he wanted it, you know, obviously you've seen the movie, yeah. right? He wanted that character to, fin- you know, have that last match at what looked like, a, you know, a prestigious kind of independent. A big show, yeah. He couldn't work with WWE. He could, TNA, I guess, I don't know if he spoke to them, but he's based in Brooklyn. So he wanted to do everything in the New York, New Jersey area. Right. And he approached us. And um, they came to a show at the Hammerstein and the movie wasn't even a go yet. And he wanted to, can we come and look around? Is it okay if we go in the back? I'm like, sure. And then he, one of the, his, well, his right hand man calls the day of the show and says, listen, we're coming and we appreciate it, but we're bringing someone and we don't want the word to get out. I'm like, fine. Well, it was Nicolas Cage. Wow. And Nicolas Cage was slated to be in the Mickey Rourke role. The problem in the end was he wanted more money than the whole budget of the movie. (laughs) Nicolas Cage comes, and there I am, little old Carrie Silken sitting in the back (laughs) in the dressing room. And I got Arnofsky on one side, and I'm looking across from Nicolas Cage. And I'm, you know... Give me Al Pacino. Give me Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Give me Robert De Niro. I'm an older That's guy. Right. Nicholas Cage is a great actor, but I wasn't like a huge, but wasn't like right. I'm meeting, I'm meeting a friggin' Mick Jagger. Holy shit. <laughs> so there he is. So we're in the back and everyone, you know, Nigel's there, this one, everyone's being cool. And um, Nicholas Cage looks over at me across the table in the back and he says, he points to like Nigel. He goes, why is he a good wrestler? 
I go, well, I mean, he's got a great personality. Uh, he he he's, he knows how to wrestle. He's from Britain. He brings a different style. Then he points over at Necro Butcher. Goes, why is he a good wrestler? I go, well, he does like a he does like a hardcore thing. You know, it's like a blood and gut style. And he's going around the room, pointing at this one and pointing at that one. And I'm running out of answers. <laughs> finally, he, sta he stands up and he's very thin. He's like 6'2", and he's thin. He goes, yeah. so what would make me a good wrestler? And I'm like, well, you know, guys like uh, Bret Hart, and um, Chris Jericho and um, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, you know, they aren't like the biggest guys, but you know, they have personality and they know how to work a crowd. And I'm sure you could do that. So that was, that was my experience with Nicholas Cage. So they brought, they brought Mickey. So we got signed on to the movie when the budget got cleared, they brought Mickey Rourke in and uh, that was a great experience doing that. That's and that was, that was, this was sort of, and I thought, holy shit, Mickey Rourke gets nominated for an Academy Award. Then in the end of the movie, Bruce Springsteen did the close it, the, the yes. walkout song. I'm like, this is huge. <laughs> and, and the Ring of Honor logos and banners were everywhere in the movie. They didn't, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But you know what, Chris? Didn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't push the needle. I'm thinking the college kids are going to come out. The hipsters. Every, you know, the movie got, you know, it, it was popular. But, you know, maybe if Mickey Rourke would have won the Academy Award. <laughs> what, what do you think that, that it was that kind of limited Ring of Honor from getting bigger and getting that, that spotlight that you're talking about? My just just in my, general, because it always kind of just hit a certain level, and that was that was it. We never got we, we never were able to get live TV. Gotcha. And uh, you know if, if we if we play if we play Monday morning quarterback, and it is Monday morning, you need live TV in this day and age. What do you think? Same thing. I, I think it was always kind of slaughtered as a as a modern day ECW, which in the nineties was cool, but as you move on to the two thousands and two thousand and ten, the look of it. It just kind of looks small and there's a niche for it. But I think once New Japan kind of got m more TV and kind of infiltrated, I really think when Cody and the Bucks and I know Kenny wasn't there all the time, but Hangman, when, when, when AW began and took kind of that uh, core group out, that probably hurt as well. Yeah. But I think, like you said, it never had the big time national television. Right. When, when, in the 2015, 16, 17 era, when uh, Cody came in, maybe it was 16, 17, yeah. uh, and the Bucks came, the Bucks were, you know, because of the Bullet Club thing. Right. That was a big deal. And we, we started popping for us some good houses. What's a good house for us? 2,000 people. WrestleMania weekend. We did 7,000 people yeah. in New Orleans, and uh, there was one in Orlando. We did about the same amount. But that was in the uh, the era with, you know, Cody and the Bucks and and Kazarian 
and you know lethal was but but you know lethal was there the briscoes were there you know the 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 old school ring of honor guys and um then uh you got them all <laughs> <laughs> let's talk a little bit about about final battle um, just kind of tell us the, the genesis of that show, because like I said, I, I'm currently in London, so I didn't see the show, but I read the reports and you had, you know, FTR showing up and you had a, a lot of special surprises. AEW guys were involved. Uh, how important was this show and, and how were you able to put it together to have all these, these guys on it? Well, our booker, Delirious, mm -hmm. he reached out and uh, Diana Perrazzo made an appearance. Braun Strowman made an appearance. How about right. that? Yeah. And, and not to mention FTR. And, um, and Jay Lethal was in the main event. He replaced right. Bandito, you know, right? Yeah. You know, I'm very close to Lethal. And yeah. uh, he'll hear this. And when he, when he powdered out a little early, I thought, <laughs> I said, Jay, he can't stay to the final bat. This is before, you know, he can't stay to the final because Carrie. The wrestling market is very flooded with wrestlers. You know, they talk about it's a golden era, but there's guys, you know, now there's going to be another 30, 40 guys on the right. market. You want to, you know, it's all right. All right. So it, it, it was poetic justice to have Jay back, you know, with Bandito uh, and not feel and uh, having uh, testing positive for COVID. So yeah, lethal and Jonathan Gresham, but yeah, Chris, it was a, it was forgetting the melancholy part of it. It was a magic night. The the matches were great. The Briscoes against Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. You know, Dave Meltzer would probably give it four stars. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal, phenomenal, and. That we had one blood and guts match, which, which not no blood, but a lot of guts. Which was, <laughs> I don't know if you know these guys, Kenny King and yeah. Shane Taylor. Who, I know Kenny. Yeah, Shane Taylor is excellent, and uh, the women's title. This this very young girl, Roxy, against Willow, very good. Um, everyone was represented on the card, and uh, culminating with. Uh, lethal and Gresham, you know, as the main event. And it, uh, hopefully, you know, it, it, if, if nothing else, when you have some time, YouTube to check out that main event, because Jonathan Gresham is so good and lethal is so good. And they're both uh, scientific wrestlers. And it was just fantastic. And it was very emotional. And towards, as it was coming down to the end, because the pay-per-view is going to cut off, <laughs> right? The whole roster, baby face, heels, it didn't matter. Everybody came out to, to ringside. And uh, Jonathan Gresham kept the belt. And uh, it was a hell of a moment. Well, you guys had quite a few of those. That was the one kind of thing, like you said, the, the melancholy side of it. But you booked it as if you were moving forward. I mean, having Adam Share appear and having Gresham get the title. And, and I think the, 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 the Briscoes won the titles again for the 12th time or whatever well, it was. The company's not, you know, it, it's being it's being reinvented. Uh, let's hope. You yeah. know, as far as what I know now, these titles 
are going to be defended in other places. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, he's booked in a number of places, including he's doing a really cool show in Atlanta. The name of his new show or promotion is Terminus. Terminus, I heard he's it. He's got yeah. a very good. He's getting a really good buzz, and you know the t- you know he's going to be there. The kid that's the pure champion, the pure belt champion, Josh Woods is going to be there. I'm not sure about the Briscoes, but um, and I believe the, the the girl Roxy is going to be there. But um, so these titles are going to be still be active, despite the uh, hiatus. Right, because now everybody, the, all the contracts are done, so everybody is free to go elsewhere. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, it is. Some guys have contracts that rolled over, and once again, a tip of the hat to Sinclair. They're getting paid, I believe, through the end of like for the next four months. Gotcha. So, but yeah, um, so the, the the belts or the title holders are alive and well. It'll be in name. As we start to, to wind down, are there some talents that now are available that maybe we're st- like like Jay, like Jay Lethal was saying, I'll stay in Ring of Honor for as long as they'll have me. Suddenly Ring of Honor ends, he has to go and, and come to AW. Are there some other talents that you think will show up elsewhere? Ones that you think, okay, these guys now that, that Ring of Honor is gone for now, will definitely move on. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with uh Mike Bennett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For sure. Maria Canella, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he and Matt Taven are are, are wonderful. Um, I don't expect you to know some of these names, but Vincent Vinny Marsaya. Uh, I can't pronounce his, his last name. Vinny Marsaya, <laughs> but Vincent. Uh, he does a does a sort of like a a horror a horror movie kind of gimmick, but he's mm-hmm. great. He's great. The aforementioned Jonathan Gresham. He's gonna he's gonna move on. Um, Shane Taylor, uh, these guys are good. Once again, Kenny King, these guys are all very viable uh, talents. Not to mention the Mexican talent we've been mm-hmm. using. This Bandito who wasn't at the, is phenomenal. Dragon Lee, Roosh, who had the Ring of Honor belt prior, and uh, so yeah, there's there's you know. Hopefully Tony Khan <laughs> welcomes some of these other guys. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, and, and that's the thing because I had Ring of Honor. The very first Jericho cruise was with Ring of Honor. I think you were on it, right? I wasn't on it. I was you supposed to know, but I, I, I okay. So I know a lot of those guys and work with Joe Coff and with 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 Craig. Um, so it, you know, once again, it, it's great to see the, the guys doing so well, and great to see him move on. So. Last few questions for you. In your opinion, what are some of the greatest matches you ever saw in Ring of Honor? I'll tell you the greatest match. Okay. And if you've never seen it, watch it. Uh, Samoa Joe against Kabashi. Oh, wow. In New York City. This is before there was our first New York City show. And we we had a building that was up in like Spanish Harlem. And it wasn't a bad building, but guess what? Something happened and they didn't pay the rent. <laughs> so we were scrambling. And one of our, uh, one of, a dear friend of mine, and he did it. He was at, he was at, when you were in, you're in Europe, but he was, he made an appearance at uh, AEW in a dark match as a manager, the Prince Nana. He, yeah. uh, 
he found he's running around New York City um, and he finds a building where the Hammerstein is and there's the Manhattan Center on top and there's that hotel, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there's that, that, that half-ass hotel. Well, they had a ballroom and the ballroom fit like 500 people. I mean, jammed in. And we used that. And thank God things were the way they were because you could dupe the fire commissioner. <laughs> right? We had eight or 900 people, but this, you know, this is obviously we had the relationship with Noah, but to get, to get Kabashi, you know, and I'm not yeah. an expert on Japanese wrestling, but I was like, wow. So that match if you watch it, it was the only Ring of Honor match where there's no commentary because it didn't need it. Wow. And this was like, did you see the recent Muhammad Ali documentary? The new I one? I haven't seen it yet. Ben Burns one. I haven't seen it. Well, the reason I mention that, you've seen these fights, Ali Frazier, you know, Ali Foreman. You know, they talk about the yeah. big fight field. And this was the big fight feel. This was in 2005. And it's like, I remember, you know, Samoa Joe, I wasn't real close with him, but we were friendly. And he was sitting behind the curtain, not in the locker room, for like two hours. And Kabashi didn't even show up to the building to like, if the, if the match started at 1030, he showed up at like 945. Wow. And they just went out and they did it. it it's an absolute classic. That would that's, be my all-time favorite match. That's amazing, too, because your fans were always so super excited, throwing streamers and all that sort of stuff. They're really great, hardcore, knowledgeable wrestling fans. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, and, you know, and then to see Brian – oh, God, Brian and Nigel. You know, Nigel McGinnis – uh, it's just a shame he never had a longer career. Mm -hmm. But him and Brian Danielson used to have these wars. And um, there's a classic match from Liverpool where these guys are headbutting each other Oof. like bully goats. And, you know, <laughs> these are two guys that can wrestle. But they would do anything, you know, they're going to do anything for the sport. And uh, that comes to mind. Then, you know, to more modern history, having uh, the Hardys come in to wrestle right. in the weekend to have a ladder match with the Bucks, you know, and Kevin, oh, Kevin, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, and Generico in so many wars, and they got involved with Jimmy Jacobs and Carino and, and Tyler Black. There's just so many great matches over the years, man there's a wealth of wrestling content and at the risk of being self-serving, I think ring of honor completely changed the wrestling landscape. Oh, it completely did. And my last question kind of revolves around that. Who do you feel were like the top, I don't know, let's just say top three. It might be less, there might be more, but let's just say three, three as a number top three, uh, most influential wrestlers in changing that landscape? Like who are the top three most important wrestlers in ring of honors history or five or one or whatever you might think? Well, we'll, we'll use these two as one number one, the Briscoes. 
Right. 20 years. They never left. Wow. It's incredible, Chris. Why do you get longevity like that? Yeah. It doesn't exist. Right. Um, then Brian Danielson. Mm -hmm. He just, you know, um, I mean, Punk was only really there for three years, four years. Samoa Joe was only there for three or four years. But Brian was there from 2002 till 2009. So he's got to be on that list. Right. Um, I mean, I want to say Samoa Joe, his, his career was short with a, not that long as, but he's, he's got to be mentioned, but, uh, and Seth, you know, Tyler Black, Seth right. Brown, I yep. mean, phenomenal. And then that brings me to a more modern era with, you know, Adam Cole. Yeah. Just wonderful. Great matches, you know. I've been very fortunate to be with the company, then, and you know, being a fan of wrestling that you know respected the business, had such high, for the most part, high quality matches. And so, the Briscoes, Samoa Joe, Punk, Danielson, Adam Cole, Kevin, you know. How do I leave Kevin Owens? You know, it's like, and uh, there's probably a bunch of names that I'm uh, I'm leaving off the list here, but you know, because it's it's a laundry list. Delightful. I'm leaving lethal. Dude, it's a laundry list. Last question for you: What's next for Carrie Silken now? Well, I got to give a cheap plug to uh, my podcast. Yes. Last stop, Penn Station, and I I can't wait to be able to meet you and hang out with you to tell you some stories of my <laughs> other life. I was voted, if there would have been a vote, I was the most unlike, most unlikely guy to, su to succeed. I went to college for a semester and majored in pinball and joint rolling. <laughs> I had a brief, I had a brief career at working with club bands. We're talking about, 76 to 81, the, the, the New Jersey, New York, Long Island club scene, cover bands. But it was huge at the time. I was a lighting guy, the drinking, you know, which sort of played back into Ring of Honor. But anyway, back then, the drinking age was 18. No one gave a shit about anything. And there was a million good rock clubs. It, it, it was a golden era. You know, that's when Asbury Park also was right. you know, huge. But... uh then, as I mentioned in my text, I discovered cocaine, and <laughs> I've had a lifelong struggle, not with with substances. You know, once an addict, always an addict. Right. And um, But I, I wound up, I couldn't hold a job, so I wound up hustling, learning how to hustle tickets on the streets in New York City. I'd been around the city. I knew a few guys. And um, my, my, I started my career as a digger, D-I-G-G-E-R. You know what that is? No. Someone who stands online all night for 40 bucks, $10 a ticket to buy Elton John or Neil Diamond or Metallica ticket. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I started as a digger. I, I had like a ticket mentor, Freddie the Weeper, and... I hustled the streets of the city. I mean, when you're working with guys with names like Pickface Stanley, Blockhead, and The Mummy, 
I mean, there's some stories. And <laughs> I finally cleaned up my act in the early 90s. And I got off the streets and someone gave me a break working in a ticket office, you know, on the phone, just pre-internet, boys and girls. Yeah. You just have to stand on line for tickets. I'm a lot older than Chris, but he knows standing on line for tickets. Right. So I, I cleaned up my act. I, I had Brave Review tickets, my company. And uh, if it wasn't for all that, there would have been no Ring of Honor. Although I might have died a hundred times along the way, I was lucky with the <laughs> lifestyle I was leading. But all those stories and all of those characters, myself and my good friend Ian Riccoboni, the announcer yeah. for Ring of Honor, it's on Last Stop Penn Station podcast. And lastly, Mike G, you know him from Metal Maniacs. Uh-huh. Right? Metal Metal Edge, Metal Maniacs, Mike yeah. G and Paul Gargano. Yeah, Mike G is working on my memoirs, Mike Greenblatt, and oh, great. He, he he put out his first book, which was uh, a tribute to the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. So I'll be working on my memoirs. I'll be going to some wrestling, and I'm going to come see you in January in Newark. That's great, man! I can't wait to say hi and uh, meet up face to face. Uh, but what a great amount of stories, man! And congratulations on being one of the. Uh, reasons why ring of honor became the legendary company that it did and you're one of the guys one of the few guys in the wrestling business that nobody ever says a bad word about so that's something that uh, you could uh, be very proud of <laughs> you never <laughs> met austin aries <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing thank you carrie it's been great talking to you man i look forward to seeing you in january you got it man thank you so much cheers man thank you 